I got some news for you. Or you bring on our next guest. The okay. NHL just signed a deal with Fanatics to be their New Jersey sponsor. Yeah, that's not like uh, for I don't know if ten that's a... years. That's oh, nah, a long time. I guess they got the bag. Can they make good jerseys? They make good hats. True. Matt Murray's always rocking a hat that I'm like, kind of, kind of want that. He's a big hat, hat guy. You see the St. Pat's one he was wearing? Uh, yes. It's pretty sweet. And I he's got the stash. It. He's got the hipster vibe. We talked about this at the beginning of the season. He definitely when we has the him. hipster vibe. He had like the socks pulled he's up. He's an Ossington all the way. guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's he an Ossington guy. He is. What's Ossington Fest? He's going to be just roaming around <laughs> on Ossington Fest. Anyway, that's still to come. We'll know if the Leafs have made do on their promise this spring in this playoff by then before Ossington Fest. But until then, we've got to tee up a regular season game in Long Island. And to do that, we have our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That insider is Thomas Hickey, who played for the Islanders and is currently an Islanders analyst at MSG. What's going on, Thomas? Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Uh, We're doing pretty good. Always excited when the Islanders and Leafs go at it. Lou and Kyle, (laughs) Pierre Engvall and John Tavares. A lot lot of storylines. It's exciting. Uh, And it's a big game for the Islanders. Maybe less so for the Maple Leafs, but uh, every game is uh, hyper-analyzed. So every game's a big game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But we got to know, before we talk about anything uh, with, you know, tonight's matchup, and I guess it's connected to tonight's matchup, we need to know about our buddy Pierre Engvall. How's he doing there? In Long Island, how's he fitting in? What's the vibe with Pierre Engvall? You know what? It's been up and down for him. His first game, I thought he was really good. He fit in nicely. They they chose to put him with uh, with Bo Horvat and Anders Lee, which was sort of their first line, and he looked really good. And then there was a, a two or three game stretch where he didn't really play much. And I think for Lane Lambert, uh, the coach of the New York Islanders, who was getting him up to speed and, and getting him used to the systems and it didn't look like it was working. And since then, goals in three straight. He's playing with Brock Nelson and Kyle Palmieri, and they've been on fire lately. But Pierre Engvall has been very good. It, it's been impressive to watch him, um, you know, come in hot, struggle a little bit, and then find himself. And, and he's been a difference maker, especially the last few games when, when they've needed offense. They've got it from him. So it, it's been a nice addition so far. And I think as time moves forward, he, he could find himself – stapled on that line if they look anything like they have recently how's the physicality uh you know what he's he's a big body he doesn't uh he, he puts a stick in there more than his mm. body i guess yeah, you could yeah. say but uh changed much um, yeah but you know what he's 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 quick he handles the puck well and i think that's what that's what lou lamorello said when he brought him in it was about his skating ability and and so far it's been a nice fit yeah, he's un- undeniably a talented guy. If someone could get him to have a little snarl, he'd be quite the force. And I think ultimately uh, the the Jays, you know, the Jays, the Maple Leafs lost a little trust in Pierre Engvall as it pertains to this season. But there's definitely a lot of potential for him to be an impact guy. And hopefully he finds his way uh, on Long Island. Okay, let's talk about John Tavares a little bit. Uh, former teammate of yours, former captain with the New York Islanders, now captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we've been talking about his leadership. We've been talking about where his game's at. We dissect John Tavares' game uh, all year long and have been doing that for a long, long time. When you hear the words John Tavares, when you think about your former teammate, what pops into mind first? 
the first thing that pops into mind was John scoring uh, game six against the Florida Panthers. It was the first playoff series win since he'd been here and first in, in a very long time for all the fans in New York. So that wraparound against Florida, that's the first thing that pops to my mind. But secondly, still a good friend of mine, um, you know, and it's I get caught in the crosshairs a little bit because he's not a popular guy by – a lot of people, uh, the Islanders faithful, really, just probably more than anything, they, they value loyalty instead of um, maybe the history of what he did when he was here. And, you know, I I, I wasn't a fan for all that time, so I, I love their passion and appreciate it. Um, but at the same time, I, I love John, and I wish him well, whatever jersey he's wearing. But, um, you know, I think he's done a great job, and I think – when I look at him and, you know, all the expectations and the gravity that comes with playing in Toronto, um, and I look at his numbers, you know, he's a guy that's still producing and, and someone that takes care of his body incredibly well. So, um, you know, secretly always pulling for him. I guess not secretly, but I guess when he's, when he's playing the Isles, it's, it's all bets are off, uh, certainly pulling for them. But, but elsewise, uh, you know, a, a good teammate. A uh, great teammate, a great friend. So wishing him continued success in Toronto. Have you ever attended one of his kombucha keg parties? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I've been to some other parties, but no, no kombucha. No kombucha. Okay. Next time, next time for sure. Uh, in what ways has he evolved? Because we've been talking about, you know, seven-year contract, long time for a guy who's definitely in the back nine of his career. I don't know how close he is to 18, but definitely in the back nine and the front nine spent exclusively with the New York Islanders. You know, he was a guy who made Matt Molson a ton of money, made him a big-time scorer, made him a big-time uh, earner at the NHL level because he was just undeniably an offensive force who could make people around him better. Now he's kind of more of a trigger man. He's kind of switched roles a little bit with Mitch Marner when he has the opportunity to play with him. He's definitely the shooter there. Uh, how have you seen John Tavares evolve as a player and, you know, make sure that he's still the productive guy making that $11 million and now playing into his 30s? Yeah, for me, it, it's the evolution started when he was 17. That's when I first played with him in the World Juniors and wasn't a pretty skater at that point and worked on his skating so much. But for someone with the ability from a young age that didn't skate great, he found a way to hunt pucks down and get pucks back and win stick battles. And I think that's what made him so good in Oshawa. And then all of a sudden, put so much work into his skating. His skating improved so much and maybe in a straight line, not the fastest guy, incredible edges and, and work so hard at those details that he wasn't good at. And then as you get a little bit older and the game picks up speed and your body naturally does not, it comes back to those same things. It's hunting down pucks. It's working on your edges. It's protecting the puck, but it's, it's, he hounds pucks. He's, he's lifting guys' sticks constantly. If you see him in a battle, he comes up with so many pucks that other people just don't. And I think from the start of his career when he turned pro to this point now, I think it's sort of that same thing. If he's going to be successful, it's because he hunts down pucks and because he's hungry and finds a way. So it's sort of come full circle where the things that he relied on probably at a young age through those instincts – are coming back to him again. It's not like they haven't been there throughout his career, but they're more and more important. And that's what I look at when I see John. I just see a guy that is relentless on a, on, on pucks, on, on puck battles, on loose pucks, finding ways to come up with it and get into the right positions. 
from the outside looking in, uh, John Tavares is a stoic leader. He's not the raw, raw, raw guy, at least in front of the media. I'm sure within the locker room, um, he leads by example, leads by being a good communicator and a great teammate. Uh, you've known him for a long time. Has this always been his leadership style? And what's the value in having, you know, different types of leaders on a team too? Because there's some that are emotional leaders and there's some that lead by example and set um, a good framework in a locker room. And, and, and I'm sure he's been really, really instrumental in that in your career as well. Yeah, and I even saw him evolve um, even throughout his time on Long Island where, you know, you're anointed the captain at a at a young age. And I think the smartest thing to probably do is just rely on the strengths you have. And that was his, his worth at work ethic leading by example and and just really concentrating on the output that he was giving the team. And I think guys follow suit when you're the best player on the group. But as time's gone on, he, he's he's gotten so much better at whether it's reaching out to a young guy, helping a young player, involving people. Um, those are things that you don't see and you can't tell in an interview, but uh, a strength of his and something that throughout his career, I think he's gotten better and better at. And with coming into Toronto with, you know, a young group not fully established, I think for those young guys, it must have been incredibly important. But, um, you know, I, I, I have fun watching his interviews because, yes, they're boring and it's monotone, but but it's, it's just the way John is. He's he's not going to try to, um, you know, be too bright or or provide some insight that out, comes out of nowhere. He's he's very true to himself, and uh, you know, it's more about what he does does in the dressing room than it is mm-hmm. in front of a microphone that makes him a good leader. We've got Thomas Hickey on the phone, uh, former NHL defenseman and current Islanders analyst at MSG. So let's talk about those Islanders. Um, Added Bo Horvat, which was an exciting start to the trade deadline a little bit early. What does that do to a team um, mentally, one that's pushing for the playoffs, when they go all in, they they sign a guy of that caliber, then lock him up for a while. Um, The excitement around adding someone of that you know, caliber to a roster, especially a team that's looking to have a little bit of push here down the stretch. Yeah, well, first of all, it was it was sort of a curious move at the time. The Islanders looked dead in the water. They mm-hmm. were playing their worst hockey of the entire season, and it was a stretch to start January that was that was awful. And it looked like a team that held a playoff position for over half the season. That all of a sudden they were really losing traction. And um, I've been around Lou Lamorell for a while now. You understand that if he's making an accusation like that you know that it's for a reason and he plans to have that person around long term. And as soon as he got him signed, things sort of shifted and you're going, okay, he's going to be here for a while, but you saw the impact right away. And if not for Bo Horvat, this team is not sitting in the playoffs right now. And we'll get into his numbers and stuff in a moment, but he came out of time, had found instant chemistry with uh, Matt Barzell and it, I think it piqued a lot of people's excitement on Long Island because the the conversation for a long time is who's Barzell going to play with? He needs he needs a star to play with him. And their chemistry picked up right away. And they were on fire. Then all of a sudden, Matt Barzell goes down. He hasn't been back yet. JG Pajot, who's a really important cog in for the Islanders down the middle, that's the strength of their team. So they went from having Barzell at center, um, Pajot at center to losing both of those guys and, and Horvat did a ton of the heavy lifting and for a stretch of, of probably a dozen games, I thought he was the best Islander consistently on the ice. And, and then as time sort of went on with those injuries, the increased workload, 
he's still very effective. The production hasn't been there and recently. It's 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 just waiting to come out. He's a guy that he could have had a half trick last game. He hasn't put up the numbers that I'm sure he'd want to. But he's been big on the penalty kill. When they lose penalty killing bodies, he's a guy that stepped up. He's sort of done everything for them. I've been really impressed because I played against Horvat for a long time, and he was in the West Coast. So you see him twice a year. Uh, you don't truly have the full appreciation for the player that he is. I, I've been surprised because I've I've watched him, but to see him live, to see him do it every single night, a really detailed player and a guy that is much better than I thought he was. Yeah, Bo Horvat has not scored in the month of March, has just one assist, but the Islanders are 5-2. and two. Uh, So clearly he's, well, it's not it's not hurting him that he's not being uh, the most productive uh, of late, but certainly he's been productive in other ways, uh, helping them to a 5-2 and two record and helping them s- strengthen their hold uh, in the wild card position. What has been the key, other than Horvat, I suppose, to surviving the Barzal absence? Goaltending. Uh, the, the conversation with the New York owners begins and ends with Ilya Sorokin, and Simeon Varlamov has been good when called upon and gets some really tough assignments, but it's Ilya Sorokin. He's been, um, you know what, like, I'm biased, obviously. He must definitely be a Vesna uh, trophy candidate. I think Linus Olmark is, uh, has undeniable numbers and the things that Boston's doing this year, but Ilias Sorokin's been so valuable to this team. And at the times when they struggled, you know, there were games that they'd win 2-1 or 3-2, and he kept them in the game just long enough for them to find their footing. There was a stretch where they played really, really poorly in first periods. And, um, you know, with uh, the league average goaltender, they would have been out of games and, and probably would have been out of the playoffs, would have been out of, of having that hope or that ability to get there, but Ilya Sorokin's held them in at every single moment. And, and throughout that, you've just had you've had timely scoring from from finding lines. I mentioned the Engvall, Paul Mary Nelson line that's playing uh, very, very good right now. It's sort of been one group at a time. We'll sort of we'll sort of carry this thing and, and find a way to to come up with the goals that they need because it's it's not an overly gifted group when you compare them to a Toronto Maple Leafs or some of the high-powered groups, they sort of have to find their way through it and and work a little bit harder for those goals compared to other teams. But the ability to have the goaltending be there for you buys you the time to to figure it out and find those goals. So the New York region, um, I know that extends a little further than uh, just the city of Manhattan, but Rangers, Islanders, Devils, um, a really great place to be if you're a hockey fan right now. I'm not sure it's always been this way, but all three teams are making some some headlines and some playoff push. What's it like just being in the region there when the teams are all competitive? Um, You know, you also have the NFL, the NBA, and such. So you're spoiled if you're in that region. Just those three teams all kind of vying for making some something happen this season. Yeah, things are looking up. Uh, things are looking up around here, just just in general sports. And obviously, um, you know, a, a fan base doesn't matter who you cheer for. Well, you know, what? it really does matter who you cheer for because if <laughs> if you if you like the Islanders, you, you don't like them, you love them, and you hate the Rangers. And the same could be said for Jets, Giants, Mets. But you've got some some teams that are you know the the Giants rounding the corner in football. But for from a hockey perspective. Um, a chance to see all three teams make the playoffs. If we're to begin today, that's what it would look like. And I think it's been a really long time. And what everyone's been talking about 
is the Devils and the Rangers. It looks like that's set in stone in the first round. And, you know, the, the bias in me wants to see Devils versus the Islanders in first round. It's not, it's not in, incomprehensible to think that that could happen. Um, you know, but I, I think hopefully New York, the metro area will be treated to a first round of, of two of these teams meeting head-to-head. I think that would be a ton of fun to see, but still a lot of hockey to play. The other two teams are certainly positioned to make the playoffs, no question. The Islanders have some work to do, but an exciting time to be a hockey fan in this area. Yeah, vacations are not getting approved at the MSG Network right now. It's all hands on deck. Everyone's uh, full bore yeah. with all three teams uh, involved and maybe on the same side of the bracket. Like, if you're the Islanders right now, clearly these games are huge. Uh, I mean, if you look at the standings, uh, they got a point up right now in Florida for top spot in the wild card. The Pittsburgh Penguins just two points behind with a game in hand, and even the Ottawa Senators with a game in hand are seven points back, a bit of a longer shot. But it's going to be a dogfight there, but... It, uh, not just getting in, is it really important to win the wild card so that you avoid the Boston Bruins? You get on the MSG side of the bracket and tangle with Carolina and maybe New York and New Jersey rather than having to deal with Boston, or is this just win and, and, uh, and, and sort it out then? Yeah, I think it's a situation where beggars can't be choosers. I think the most important thing for this franchise is to make the playoffs because this is a group uh, everyone knows went to two back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals, and last year they just they looked too old, too slow, uh, too unfortunate with the schedule that they had, and didn't do a whole lot to change it uh, because they believed in in the fabric of of this team, the the core guys that have been around. And for moments and times this year, it looks like that's not enough. But they, there's some of their parts, and they've found a way. And and I think for them getting in is is the most important thing because a group that's been to back-to-back conference finals a lot of those bodies are still there and i think there's a belief that when playoff time starts it doesn't matter who they're playing they've beaten some teams that were heavily favored in the past uh from my perspective absolutely grab the seventh seed avoid boston at all at all costs and even if it means you have to face a great carolina team you know in boston we're looking at a team that's lost less or less than three playoff series combined the entire season, you know, only, only about uh, 10 losses. So yeah, absolutely. Avoid Boston if you can, but uh, making the playoffs would be the achievement first and foremost. But yeah, when it is that tight, one, two points could separate you from seventh to ninth. Uh, If you can be in that seven hole, absolutely. I think there's an advantage there. I want to ask you about one more teammate uh, of, or former teammate of yours, which is Jake Muzzin. Uh, Jake Muzzin obviously ruled out for the rest of the season, not going to be an option for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year, uh, but an indispensable part of this team, I think, still. Uh, when I was covering the Leafs cl- more closely, uh, I always marveled at the fact that, you know, he didn't speak when it was, when it didn't need to be, when he didn't need to be speaking, he didn't like the sound of his own voice, but when he did speak, it meant something. Uh, what was your experience with Jake Muzzin as a teammate? This is obviously a long time ago with the Manchester Monarchs, and maybe he wasn't as established. Clearly, he wasn't as established. He wasn't a two-time Stanley Cup champion by that point, but what was Jake Muzzin uh, like for you as a teammate? Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he was a great teammate, and, uh, you know, he was he was a fun guy to play with. Had, had uh, a great sense of humor. A guy that had a positive lease on everything, and I'm wishing him the best with uh, with what he's dealt with, and more than anything, just just good health. But certainly, uh, a presence of a guy that 
went unsigned out of out of junior and uh you know i was i was a high draft pick and he came in and i'm thinking geez this guy's really good for a guy that that didn't sign with an nhl team that drafted him and all of a sudden his game is just it's tailored for the nhl style he's big he's strong he's got a great shot and and a guy that was just seemed like the pro game was just made for him and and obviously did so well in la and i think that experience that that he had Winning, winning Stanley Cups there probably meant so much to uh, to the Leafs management. That's obviously why you bring him in, and it's a shame that that he's not part of that push right now because he'd be so valuable. But I'm sure in the background, uh, providing smiles, and um, you know, I'm just I'm just wishing the best for him, and hopefully he's fully healthy and happy. But uh, you know, certainly a guy that I'm happy to see the way his career has progressed and um, up to the point of obviously not playing at the moment, but someone who who did a lot with with things looking not bleak but probably not as rosy as he picture after junior career and has, has had a tremendous career uh he certainly has uh last one for you i think are things going to be a little bit uh kinder for john Tavares tonight i'm not expecting a red carpet rollout but uh is it going to be full-on anarchy like it was those years ago ever end <laughs> Uh, I don't think it will, to be honest with you. And, and I'm, I'm grateful that John's got thick skin, um, but the boo birds will be out. I think from an Islanders perspective, you come back from a, from not a long trip, but three games out West in California, that first game back is always tough. There'll be an insane buzz in the building tonight at the UBS arena, just because, this team needs it right now. You're obviously scratching and clawing for points and you don't really need that extra motivation, but when your fans are going to be in it like they are tonight, yeah, it's, it's going to be chaos. There's no question. Yeah. Islanders need the points. I think Leafs need maybe the atmosphere. I think it's a good spot for the Leafs as well, because you're trying to feel something other than, you know, a normal regular season game, which of course uh, it's been for the last several months. So hopefully the Leafs get something out of it. And, you know, maybe if the Islanders get something out of it too, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because we'd like to see them in the playoffs as well, maybe. Uh, anyway, thanks for jumping on. Uh, that was Thomas Hickey, NHL, the former NHL defenseman and current Islanders analyst for MSG. Uh, hopefully we can chat again soon. That'd be great, guys. Take care. And that is our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Big revenge game tonight. You know, I love the revenge games. Already parlayed an Engvall goal with a Tavares goal because that's the way she goes. What about a multi-goal effort for Pierre Engvall? I, I might have done a $1 sprinkle on a hat trick. <laughs> okay. Just a dollar. All right. He's like 90 bucks. Yeah, You're telling me that, that that could just possibly happen? It, yeah. Anything is possible, it just seems. One I'm buck. looking forward to I'm seeing not Pierre even, tonight. Not even just the five bucks. It's just one buck. Yeah, <laughs> a split unit, five buck. <laughs> Uh, no, it's going to be great. Tonight's going to be, as you mentioned, a great playoff atmosphere for a team that's really clawing their way in, in, in there in a revenge game. And I think the, the the players on the Maple Leafs, they know that. And they play up for the opportunity to to give John Tavares a nice homecoming, right? Like they, they know what this means to him and what this means to his current status with the Maple Leafs. It's a, it's a good prove-it game. So, But a really good goaltending matchup. So the unders... Calling my name a little bit. But. Is it? Okay. A little wake and rake preview there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, we've got that to tee up tonight. Of course, the World Baseball Classic Final, Japan and the United States. That's at 7, Maple Leaf 730. Engvall, John Tavares, Revenge Games. But we're going to talk a little women's basketball on the other side of the break with Haley McGoldrick. She's going to join us, go through um, a massive, massive upset last night. 
That's what March Madness is all about. And then we'll do a baby wake and rake to end the show. So send those picks in at 595.90. We'll get to that after the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're wrapping up Tuesday on the Fan Morning Show. Maple Leafs and Islanders, 7.30 tonight, World Baseball Classic Final at 7 p.m. And the Sweet 16 for the Women's NCAA Tournament has been set. And might be some surprising faces not in the final stretch here. Indiana losing in a dramatic fashion to Miami. Number one, Indiana upset by number nine, Miami. That was last night. Um, Someone covering it real close for us here at Sportsnet is Haley McGoldrick, women's basketball writer. How's it going this morning? I'm good, thank you. How are you? We're good. Uh, excited to break down some women's basketball with you because we have been a little focused on the men's side of the bracket, uh, deservingly so. They got kicked off a little earlier, and they, they've had their upsets, all right? Now we're talking women's basketball, and last night, Indiana losing. That was a bit of a shocker, I could say, uh, the least, right? Oh, absolutely. I had Indiana going very far. I thought they were a very good team. Not that Miami wasn't a great team, but Indiana only had four losses all season. They had a regular season title. They were number one seed for the first time in program history. They had a lot riding on this tournament. Two years ago, they made the Elite Eight for the first time in program history. They've been a program that's been building for a few years now, and I think this might have been their time. But that Miami team just played so, so well. It was such an electric game, like you said. It came down to the final buzzer, 70-68, and Miami deserved it. They they outplayed them. Indiana missed a lot of uncharacteristic shots. Miami put the pressure on defensively, and when it came time, they came up big. They had a really bad third quarter. They came back, bounced back in the fourth quarter, and won that game. So Miami deservingly won it, but it was quite a shock because Indiana was a very strong team all season. So a couple number one seeds still remain. Of course, South Carolina has been minus favorites to win the national championship yeah. and this. I don't think I've ever seen something like that before. Obviously, um, it's much deserved uh, if they're coming in minus 200 favorites to win the championship, but how does a team just create that level of, of sustainability all season long that they roll into a tournament where you can see anything can happen, a number one upset can happen, um, to just be that, that heavy of favorites to come in? It's crazy. They didn't lose a single game all season. They still are not losing. They're winning by double digits. And the thing is, too, Aaliyah Boston obviously is a National Player of the Year candidate, Defensive Player of the Year, but she's not their only player. They have Via Cook. They have Camila Cardoso. Mm-hmm. We also have Canada's own Leticia Amma here. They have a really stacked roster, and they move the ball well, and they play for each other, and I think that's the biggest thing you can see on the court versus a team like Stanford. You know, they lost a few players this upcoming year, and they still had Cameron Brink and Haley Jones, but those were their only players, and that's why Stanford got upset. You could just see that they didn't have that depth, and South Carolina has that. Even if you shut down Aaliyah Boston, okay, well, now you have to deal with Leah Cook. Now you have to deal with Letitia Emma here. They're not just one-dimensional. And I think Don Staley has really built a winning culture there, but there's also a lot of humility in that team. And I think that's the biggest thing. Even first round, you're playing Norfolk State, and they – they took it seriously. They didn't just think, oh, we're going to beat them by double digits. It's going to be fine. They still played, gave it their all, knew that every single game is a game where you have to go in and you have to play and nothing's handed to you. And I think some teams who have faced those upsets have gone in and thought, oh, I'm playing a number nine seed. This is going to be nothing. And now you're in the tournament. <laughs> so who can take that O away from South Carolina? Is there any team that could potentially give them trouble on the path 
uh, towards the championship game. They got UCLA next, then the, maybe the winner of Notre Dame versus Maryland. Is there any team? Maybe it's way on the other side of the bracket. We'll have to wait for UConn, for that potential maybe. upset. Yeah, what is it? UConn. What what team can you know give them trouble in this tournament? I think the biggest challenge for them is going to be the final four and I think they're going to play Iowa and I said from the start that I had Iowa coming out of that region I didn't think Stanford was going to make it and Iowa has Caitlin Clark who's another national player of the year candidate she is just incredible you cannot stop her you cannot even slow her down it's crazy she finds a way to make the most insane baskets Iowa is a team that's definitely going to be seeing them in the final four but like you said UConn UConn had a season that they have not had in years obviously dealt with a lot of injuries but they lost back-to-back games for the first time in like decades. They then run through the Big East, win the Big East tournament. Now they make it look so easy going. They're definitely, it's going to be a good game against Ohio State, but UConn knows how to win in March. It's insane. They could probably go winless all regular season and somehow make it to the Final Four because Gino Ariema just knows how to win in March. And even without Paige Beckers, obviously, mm-hmm. Aliyah Edwards has been playing incredibly Azzy Fudd has been playing incredibly. She only practiced twice before the Big East tournament, coming back from a knee injury, and then went off against Baylor. So one of those two teams, obviously one of them is going to have to come out of their regions uh, to the championship, I assume. But I, I don't think anyone can take down South Carolina. South Carolina is just incredibly stacked. But if anyone is going to give them trouble, I think they'd have to play Iowa first. And then if they get through Iowa, I think UConn might come out of the other side as well. Yeah, Iowa lines up for the final four against South Carolina. And Caitlin Clark, I mean, she's been, I would say, the Instagram sort of uh, <laughs> a, a con- contributor on the women's side of NCAA. Like, she is a highlight machine. She mm-hmm. has all the highlights uh, for uh, this season. It's been a, a remarkable season for her. But I wonder if she has the support. Like, does she have a championship team? Or is this one superstar sort of dragging one team into a potential matchup with South Carolina? She definitely has the support around her. Um, Like you said, there are some teams where they definitely have just that one player who is dragging kind of the team. And you've seen it sometimes. Obviously, she's averaging 26 points per game this season, which is just insane. But Monica Sinano is somebody who, number one, Keelan Clark is also an assist machine. And Sinano is one of her favorite targets for that. But kind of Warnock, they have two really big forwards. They are really great in the paint, and I don't think that they're a one-dimensional team either, but those those two forwards are the ones who are also helping Caitlin Clark because obviously she's getting double-teamed. She's getting so much attention, and they're really picking up the slack there for her, and they're not even you know just getting those sloppy baskets under the net that Caitlin Clark is missing. They're dominating. Monica Sinano is averaging 17.5 points per game this season, so they're a team that's pretty well-rounded as well. Caitlin Clark is a game-changer for sure, but she's not the only one making a difference for Iowa. So you mentioned a few Canadians, um, but of course here in this in this uh, area, we love to just tune into anyone that we could hype up as our own our own uh, product and some Canadian girls for sure, especially um, in the in the remaining games here. Is there someone we should be keeping an eye on, maybe for a future national team program, WNBA moving forward, and maybe if they came to Toronto, that'd be even awesome. Um, but a Canadian girl that we should be looking at um, here in NCAA Women's March Madness. Well, 
obviously, like I said before, Aaliyah Edwards is the big one. The steps she's taken since her freshman year are incredible. And I think for her, too, the biggest one was when she got to Connecticut, she was there at the same time as Paige Beckers. And when you go with somebody like Paige Beckers, McDonald's All-American Gatorade Player of the Year, you get overshadowed a little bit. But this year, she's averaging 17 points per game, nine rebounds per game. She's a double-double machine. She's been playing incredibly. She's not just a bench player. She is a difference maker. She even played only 24 minutes against Baylor and recorded 19 points. She was shooting 81% from the field. She is playing so incredibly. She deserves all the flowers she's getting. And she's definitely going to be a difference maker for UConn because they are going to have a tough game coming up against Ohio State. So I know you've been covering well, at least the women's basketball beat for the season, and you can check out your work at Sportsnet. But is there a story that maybe we've missed that you've been in, in, intrigued in this this year? Maybe you've covered it, maybe you've read about it, but something that maybe has gone under the radar because you know women's sports definitely deserve a little bit more coverage here, and um, hopefully you can you can uncover something that we might have missed. I think the biggest one is Maddie Seegers at Villanova. Obviously, number one, Villanova plays in the same conference as UConn, and you're never going to win when you play in the same conference (laughs) as UConn because UConn is UConn. But Maddie Seegers has the longest streak of 20-plus point games out of any Division I player, men's or women's, in the last century. She has 36 games with 20 points or more. Villanova's playing Miami now, who I think obviously Villanova has Villanova has a little bit of an upper hand because Miami wasn't expected to come out of that Indiana game. They are an incredible team, but she's averaging 29 points per game this season. It's insane. They've been doing really well again. The Big East, I think, is an underrated conference as well just because the fact that UConn runs it all the time. But against uh, Florida Gulf Coast, she scored 31 points. Against Cleveland State, she scored 35 points. Even in their loss um, in the Big East Tournament's final against UConn, she scored 22 points and nine rebounds. She's an incredible player, and she's definitely somebody to watch out for because I think Villanova's a little bit of a sleeper team just because they haven't got that same publicity playing in the Big East with UConn. So we do uh, betting in this uh, block, Haley, and you can't make any money betting the chalk, betting South Carolina. At least you have to lay a lot in order to do so. Do you have a bet, whether it's a game that's coming up, a future, anything in the women's bracket that stands out to you as actionable? And it's okay if you don't have one. I think a big one is LSU is another sleeper team. Angel Reese has been incredible for LSU. They're a team that plays with such amazing chemistry. I love watching them play. They're coached by Kim Mulkey, who's a women's basketball legend. She coached at Baylor before she went to LSU. I think LSU is a bit of a sleeper team to make it out of their region, especially now with Indiana down. They're definitely ones who I think could even make the championship game just because they're such a strong team. They knocked up a really good Michigan team by not only double digits, by 24 points, which is crazy in a round of 32. They're in a really amazing team to watch. They're a lot of fun. Flau J. Johnson plays for LSU as well. I'm sure you've seen her not only on the court, but also off the court when she is just rapping post-game because that's something she does as well. <laughs> so I, I really like LSU. I think they're a team that could make the title game and make some noise. Like you said, there's, there's no money to be made on South Carolina, and I do think South Carolina has the talent and what it takes to win it all. But I think LSU is that big sleeper team. They're a three seed, but I really think they can make it out of the region and make some noise. Well, a great preview for the Sweet 16. Haley, keep killing it. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Great rundown. I'm fired up to see uh, who can make some noise down, maybe make some money on some of those sleeper picks. Thanks. (laughs)
Thank you. Talk to you soon. That's Haley McGoldrick, women's basketball writer here with us at Sportsnet. Check out our stuff at sportsnet.ca and always tweeting good stuff out. Um, LSU plus 900 to win the entire tournament. Thought it'd be a little higher than that with minus money on South Carolina. but well, things uh, get a little tight down the stretch here. I don't know. Maybe that's a building block to put into place. Um, our Tennessee, though. Didn't ask about our Tennessee and our Charles Davis connection, but, you know, they won yesterday. We're riding Tennessee to the final here on both mm-hmm. teams, <laughs> just mm-hmm. for Charles. Um, all right, so that was great preview of the Sweet 16 for women's NCAA. Uh, the men are back in a couple days as well. And tonight we've got Leafs and Islanders, the Leafs on the island, a 7.30 p.m. puck drop, and the World Baseball Classic final, USA and Japan. USA minus 130 on the money line, Japan plus 100. And the over-under set at 10. A lot higher than it was yesterday when I cashed the over seven and a half. So I'm not sure how I'm feeling about 10, but it is the final and anything goes at this point. Well, we got to know, we got to know who's on the mound for the United States. I think before you could place an over under bet, Mm -hmm. like you got to have some confidence in who's going to be on the bump for the Americans in order to either play that either side of that. I'm just checking to make sure that hasn't been updated. It's still TBD according to the website. So I don't feel overly comfortable but i, I would i would lean one. i would lean over just if i'm doing it blindly mm-hmm. because well the japanese proved that they had to that they could score runs clearly but not mm-hmm. only that they could they had to yep. Back and you against think the wall and they against a mexican team uh not as potent certainly as the united states so i would just like gravitate towards <laughs> the over uh but again we don't know exact the exact pitching matchup so you're kind of blindly betting into a market that way it's going to be an absolute pleasure to watch this game with no betting interest. I just want to watch it because I've already lost our our bet between the two of us. So I already know that that raw liver is just coming across my plate soon. So. By the way, someone said to me, uh, maybe not a great idea to like go crazy with the ancestral diet on a non-ancestral diet stomach. Oh, I'm not eating more than a bite of it. That was the rule. Okay, okay. I'm not in, I just don't want you to entire liver. pop a whole liver in and you expect to feel good the You can go back and listen to the day. rules that were set. It okay, was you had okay, to eat okay. at least one bite. Right, That's it. Right. One bite. Everyone just making sure. I don't want you to be sick. The rules. No, I won't be eating the whole thing. Trust me. Even if it's good. All right. Um, Engvall and jo- uh, John Tavares to score tonight. Already been parlayed myself because it's a revenge game. Um, but tonight, it looks like a, a goaltending matchup of some some good goaltender Samsonov. Both Russians in net, and you know Samsonov likes to outduel his. Uh, his friends, and he mentions this every time he plays someone of uh, Russian background. So it looks like the over set at six. Um, I don't know. I'm not really. I'm not really sure how to feel about this game. But so I fell. In, I fell into this trap before. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, Wake and Drake's selection of mine in the last couple of months was an under between the Leafs and Islanders, and I think the Leafs scored like five goals in the second period yeah. to completely ruin that. So uh, maybe that's more me than it is Islanders Leafs. Uh, but uh, last time, that sort of rationale did not benefit us. All right, so we don't have much time, so I'm going to give you my wake and rate pick. It's going to be Boston Bruins on the puck line tonight. They're playing the Ottawa Senators. Sens are on a back-to-back. The Bruins are at home. They don't lose at home. You can't bet them in regulation. You can't bet them um, straight up on the money line, but you can bet them on the puck line in our parameters, minus 120, and that's going to be my wake and rate pick. Okay, so I am going to support a team on the second half of a back-to-back, and that's the Florida Panthers. I'm going to take them plus 100 on the three-way money line over the Philadelphia Flyers in Philadelphia. Now, this does break some 
you know, general rules or goes against the grain from a certain extent. Like normally we like to fade teams that are playing on the second night of a back-to-back, but I almost think it helps Florida here. They've got some serious momentum. They're playing really, really well. They've got an opponent they're going to feel good about beating and they need to win games. They are in chase mode. They suddenly mm-hmm. have some control in the wild card chase in the Eastern Conference, but it feels like this team is peaking right now and I'll just take them to win in regulation over Philly because I think they're just going to keep the good times rolling a little bit and it's not going to be a major issue because they're not short on incentive. They have to win games and this is a winnable game. I think a good effort from Florida is in the cards tonight. So Florida plus 100, three-way money line over Philly. All right, we're both picking Atlantic Division teams on three-game winning streaks, so let's keep it going. Um, All right, here's our anchor picks for today. Good morning. My pick is going to be one of Ailish's betting favorite angles, revenge game. I'm going to take Pierre Engvall anytime goal. Juliana fresh off a Warriors road win. That never happens. So we'll take Mikhail Bridges over 24 and a half points tonight. Want to give a quick shout out to Cody in St. Catharines for the bang on picks yesterday as he nailed Harden and Thompson over rebounds and a warm welcome back to the buff man himself. Hell yeah. Uh, good morning, Corey from Port Hope here. Uh, was happy to see Kachuk over shots hit as well as Mexico plus two and a half last night. Corey likes Winnipeg on the puck line at even money against Arizona. These games are big for Winnipeg for the playoff race. So he likes him to take care of business at home. All right, good morning. Lost my pick fading Benoit Pair yesterday. That was more on Brower not being a good choice, and I am doubling down on fading Pair. And I love this pick, capital love, and I'll be taking multiple angles on this one. The Nasi Kokinikas has jumped over 100 places in the rankings this past year with many impressive wins versus top 20 players. He's also won four out of four sets versus Pair in their last two meetings this year. Take Kokinikas to win in straight sets or... Minus three and a half games on the spread. I think I nailed that. Neil will be betting both and heavy. Wow. Bet responsibly. Ian Brooks did me dirty last night. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander over 28 and a half points. Just lock mm-hmm. it in. Keep an eye on Walker Jesse. Over three and a half blocks a game has been absolute money for me. And you usually get plusy plus money on it. Excuse me. Parlay Poppy says, I'd like to start off by apologizing to Justin for the poor performance the Knicks put up against an Edward List Timberwolves team and sorry to anyone that believed in Parlay Poppy. To feel better about last night's loss, I looked at pictures of Ailish's puppy. <laughs> Good. It's worth mentioning I've never lost back-to-back parlays in 590, so to bounce back, today's parlay is Bruins, Pelicans, Lightning, all on the money line for just over double again. That's Parlay Poppy. And last one, Eric from Burlington. Good morning. Cashed in on Maddie Chucks last night. Two points. Make it three. Bruins puck line is a safe nice. bet tonight at home against the Sens team on a Eric knows what's up. All righty. Okay, so time to pick one for our pick. I mean, Neil saying he's going both of these heavy, heavy level of confidence from him. Um, SGA, we talked about him all week and how he's been pretty red hot. And... Mikael Bridges, those are kind of, I'm not going to put Pierre Engvall in our wake and rake, but no, we couldn't do part that. Part of me wants We to. can't do that. Uh, honestly, the the strongest language used is from Neil. our texters, from mm-hmm. our listeners, is Neil this morning. I don't know if it's Kokonakis, Kokonakis. Whoever it is. Uh, he sounds Greek. Yes. Uh, and uh, I want to tail the Greek. Okay, so I'm trying to find this, um, this pick, <laughs> because it, Uh, I had it for a second there. I've I've got it here. Okay. Um, so what do we? What is it? Straight money line. He says the spread is. Uh, he's going to be playing that. I believe he said also in straight sets. I think we just keep it simple and go with the spread. 
However, I'm not seeing spread betting, unfortunately. So we might not have to. We might have to move on. I do have a win in straight sets. Okay. Kokonakis minus one thirty-eight. Okay, let's do that then. Uh, minus one thirty-eight. You're seeing it at. Okay. Yeah. So that pick, Kokonakis to win his straight sets. Yep. Neil, we're going back to Neil. Plus the Florida Panthers to win in regulation over the Flyers and the Boston Bruins to win on the puck line minus one and a half altogether. Our wake and rake is five plus five fifty three. Lock it in. So a couple Atlantic teams and a tennis player that I may or may not have heard of. No worries. This morning. No problem. I love it. I love it. Um, tonight, World Baseball Classic, USA and Japan might be the most watched baseball game ever tonight. So make sure you're. Tune in to that. That's at 7 p.m. You can watch that on Sportsnet. And then, of course, 7.30 p.m., your Maple Leafs are on the road against the Islanders. The return of John Tavares, the revenge angle for two beloved Maple Leafs, Pierre Engvall and JT. And I think, Matt Martin. Don't I forget about I'm, him. I think I'm going to have to play the over in that WBC finale because I want to be dialed in. I want to cheer for runs and intrigued. It feels like the way it's been going, there's going to be some sort of like shock conclusion to this tournament that's just what it feels like hopefully that means runs late runs early would help as well if you're betting the over i think i might uh i might hit the over in that i liked dan's um i guess vision of shohei on the mound mike trout at the plate just let the chaos ensue oh we need to see that that matchup would be so fun this is this is where this is the most important game that these two are going to play in a long time all right. We we suspect, yes. <laughs> For quite a while. Let's get traded. So enjoy it. Tonight will be great viewing experience. 7 p.m. You got U.S. and Japan in the championship game. That's on Sportsnet at 7.30. You got Maple Leafs and Islanders on the road. Tomorrow, Pacers and Raptors. Raptors get back in action after a couple days of rest after their trip to Milwaukee. They're back home. We got all of that to break down on Wednesday morning. But a lot going on tonight, so enjoy it. A perfect two-screen night. That's what we like. Two is prime. Three, my eyes get a little dizzy. All right, thanks for listening to the Fan Morning Show. We'll be back tomorrow morning.